1: Round four of the Six Nations is in the books. Uh, plenty to, to discuss on the pod today with uh, Will Kelleher, who joins me in the studio, and Al Dimok, who is back from an adventure to Spain.
2: Yes, CCC, uh, sí, sí, sí. nos vamos a Paris.
1: Go on, tell us all about
2: it. <laughs> uh, so, I was in Madrid to watch the uh, Rugby Europe Championship showdown, uh, the Iberian Derby between Spain and Portugal, a winner takes all clash would go through to the Rugby World Cup and Spain are going to their first Rugby World Cup since um, 1999 and they were partying like it was 1999 awesome. after winning um, an unbelievable atmosphere first time I've been to Madrid to see a game and it was I don't know what it was an antidote to but um Well actually I I can tell you what it was an antidote to It just felt completely uncynical The whole thing It just felt really pure And Mm. if I sound a bit uh, About that Then it was just It was just great fun It was a hell of an event there was a lot at stake. It was a really entertaining match and the atmosphere was fantastic. You know, you can keep your flame machines <laughs> and your uh, booze-sponsored pundits on the, on the sideline. Give me life is life blasting on the tannoy, bit of offspring, which came out of nowhere, and <laughs> a, a lad in a Spain shirt, three sizes too small, screaming vamos and España constantly. It was hey, great also, fun. I loved it.
1: Was the king there? Did I hear the
3: king was there?
2: Uh, if he was I didn't see him no um, you weren't sitting next to him no no yeah. I, 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 I was not in, in the royal, the royal, box. royal
3: box no <laughs> didn't I saw didn't you um, when they had the post match press
2: conference your phone got soaked in beer yeah, so they uh, yeah, so they had the the top table, um, and they were coming in, and they could hear the door just and giggling behind me on the side. Now, now the, the irony of this is that I had my phone down recording. I don't speak a lick of Spanish, so it was no need for it to be up there. But the guys came in with a couple of bottles of cava, soaked the head coach and the captain, and everything got dredged. And uh, thankfully, my phone survived, but it was almost a casualty. But I, you know, that just summed up. Everything about it And it was You know I'm sure we could talk about the fact That it's great to just see A a different team In a Rugby World Cup Mm. Because Rugby World Cups Can feel very samey It's great to see The value of what it is it's great to celebrate a division underneath the Six Nations because we get caught up in just focusing on the same six to ten teams constantly in rugby, and you know it was it was a good opportunity to shine a spotlight on that. But also, it was just a, it's just a good story with Spain because I think you might remember four years ago the debacle in the last yeah. Rugby World Cup qualification. It was them versus Belgium. It descended into madness. The referee was caught up in the middle of it. People were saying uh, whether well, the result was fair, and it, it all fell apart and that's really rankled in Spain since then last year in their qualification process one of their players Kawa Liuma, passed away in a tragic accident, he fell from a height in um, in Amsterdam after after one of their games and uh, sadly passed away and it, it's, it's made for a really strange build up to this one so as you can imagine everything involved in the mix there in Madrid yesterday, just a dead emotional time
1: And it's, and it's teed up a, another big game for them Next week they they head to Tbilisi to play Georgia. Winner takes all winner wins the, the rugby Europe title. But the World Cup qualification was done over two years.
2: Yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's an interesting, it's a, it's a strange setup, but it takes a little bit of explanation. The World Cup qualification process was done over two years. Because of what's happened with Russia, um, all their future results have been decided. They won't play any more part because of, obviously, the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. That meant that Georgia, from their two-year span, had qualified Spain in winning this one for their two-year process, had qualified. Portugal could have done it and unfortunately it was one of the results last year that really meant that this was a bridge too far for them because they were leading against uh, Romania and then let that one slip by and that result means that it was Spain that go through this year based on their fine form but looking at the isolation of this if you stick with me <laughs> the isolation of this this year's competition standalone, Spain are top Georgia have not had a great year. They drew with Portugal at the start mm. of this whole process. Um, there's some question marks about their performances so far. They struggled uh, to, to, to see it through against Romania, but they did win at the weekend as well. Um, so if Spain go to Tbilisi and get a result, just caps off an incredible journey for them. But
1: the, and their reward already is to join South Africa, Ireland and Scotland in Pool B at the World Cup. And, uh, and Georgia are in with Wales-Australia and Fiji same pool again, as last time yeah again, again. Will uh, well, we've um, oh, before we go on to Will the night that you said the celebrations were were good did you end up in the same place as the Spanish team
2: <laughs> no I had to fly back last night back so to get I, here for the pod he, he, he I, like, exactly. I like that I'm but dedicated to the rack. on a
3: little note though I don't know if anyone else saw but the Spanish, largely football newspaper, marca had the Spanish yeah. rugby team on the front, yeah, that's good. which is amazing, isn't it? For yeah, impact,
2: yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, I, I did ask the head coach of Spain about this, um, Santiago Santos, after the game, uh, what this just this result could mean for Spain and and Spanish rugby, and he said it has felt like in the past, he used the word invisible because rugby's just not shown mm. that widely on television. But I'll tell you what, if you get a chance to watch the Spanish coverage of the Rugby World Cup, do it. I was sat at a table in the, the press box besides um, the commentators for uh, the, for that match, um, and a guy, Jaime Nava, who was the... Um, Former captain. He was the captain when everything fell apart in the last Rugby World Cup cycle. He was going ballistic, and it was absolutely <laughs> brilliant. So, I, in fact, I think there's a clip doing the rounds of this closing stages of that game yeah. with the Spanish commentary. Oh, it's it's yeah. brilliant.
3: What's the sort of equivalent of the
2: commentator going goal? <laughs> what's the, what's the
3: try in Spanish? We need to work that out yeah. before 2023. Oh, After to, to get out the clip.
1: <laughs> Not quite. It probably will. We were. I was in, in Cardiff on Friday. Yeah. I understand. Jonathan Davis was probably not dissimilar on the commentary <laughs> uh, on on BBC, which was France holding on to be Wales. Where we were sitting next to each other in the in the press box at Twickenham on
3: yeah on Saturday. So weird, wasn't it? Yeah, like, I don't. We've well, you've, you've tried valiantly, and lots of others have tried valiantly to sort of try and Valently pick the bones sounds like out of it. You've tried,
1: but you failed. Well, you've done in England. You've, you've
3: performed really well, but you've um, <laughs> unfortunately quite... come out with a loss. Yeah. So we're,
1: we're, we've got lots lots of Six Nations things to discuss coming up on the ruck Joe Worsley uh, the former England bat row and current coach at Castro is going to join us to have a look at, at France and, and their Grand Slam quest and we'll pick apart the rest of, of the Six Nations games Jess Hayden will join us for her roundup of of the women's game as they get close to their Six Nations and we'll have our weekly god goddess or devil of the week All right, let's start at Twickenham then, guys. England. I, mean, I don't think I need to to recap it. Down to 14 men after 82 seconds. Fought pretty well. Fought very well, and then ended up losing by a record score to Ireland at at home. You said we tried to to reconcile the good with the bad in the paper today. It, it, it's felt a bit like that to me throughout this whole mm. Six Nations, which was really the thrust of what I was trying to trying to say. That they England went to to Murrayfield in the first game. Had the better of the game, but couldn't score. Lost, and then almost blew a, a lead at, at home to Wales, but but sort of clung on to, to win. And then and then this game, which people who left Wickenham, uh, their memory of it was was of of England's resilience and their and their fight and some, um, outstanding individual performances. Mm. I thought from players like Maratoghi and Ellis Genge and Joe Marchant, Jamie George, like seriously good because they just dug in and yeah. Got physical and and made life really hard for Ireland, who who didn't help themselves actually. I don't think. And yet, despite all of that, all of that six scrum penalties. I mean, all of that, they conceded four tries, scored none, fell to thirty-two yeah. fifteen defeat. They now need to beat France in Paris to have any chance of finishing third.
3: And if they don't, it will be the first time they finish in the bottom two back to back in the Six Nations t- since oh five oh six, mm. which. Is pr- was a pretty grim mm. England era.
1: So let, let's let's pick it all apart. Um, the red card. Do we need to debate that for very long? No. I mean, it was a red card.
3: Wasn't but it? I think possibly a note that we could say that has been mentioned in the coverage is that he he made a tackle similar to that just before. Yeah,
1: on Tyburn,
3: um, Charlie. Yours were talking about, and also the whole narrative of this. We are going to bring physicality, the likes of which Ireland have never seen, which Eddie Jones made in the week. Is that in his head? Is that a contributing factor to a tackle like that that is just never never uh, gonna be anything other than the red card?
2: If that is the case, then you have to focus purely on the individual's tackle technique. Mm, exactly. Because yeah. in the opening thirty-five seconds of this game, uh Ellis Genge put a shot on Tig Furlong to say, I'm here, mate, I'm yeah. coming for you perfectly clean, took him to the deck, there was no issue with that, but it was like a it was like a shot across the bows. Hmm you know i'm all for people getting fired up and bringing a physical battle but in in this one you've got to go right your own technique we we all know what the laws are now yeah. um so um, i mean obviously i was i was in spain over the weekend so the oh, question you? You should have so should the the question, the question the question i put to you guys as you were there on the ground is is what was the moment where Ireland, where the straw broke the camel's back, was it after the hour mark when uh, Ireland got try number three, or was it at what point was it like? Okay, this is this is gonna this is gonna go the way that we think it's gonna go.
3: I was sitting next to Alex and Owen Slot, um, and we were looking at each other, almost laughing, being like, "Oh my god, they might win this!" Like, what the hell is going to happen if England win? And the crowd was going mental, and Swing Low was going round, and I don't think I've ever seen Twickenham roar a box kick before yeah, you know it had old men like standing up on their seat almost roaring Ben Young's kicking the ball up in the air and it's, it was ridiculous and then I think the thing that punctured the balloon was that um, Johnny Sexton kicking a penalty to put them 18-15 up and then Ireland realised that if they kept the phase play going for long enough they'd stretch England left they'd stretch England right and find a gap and they put together the longest phase play of the match which was a 13 phase move which ended with Conan scoring and then that was done. And actually I've done a little bit of an analysis thing on it for the Monday Mall thing for Times subscribers. And you can see watching it back that England forwards are totally screwed. Yeah. Like their legs have gone. And like, fair enough, like they've made a hell of an effort throughout the game. And you can see toji desperately trying to get back into the defensive line, but his legs are giving it. Him- mm. That that was that was the
1: moment that that Ireland won it. What amazed me was that, and perhaps it, it was their policy to try and play fast and and push it around. So the to rewind to the, to the tackle, yeah, I'm sure he was going in upright because in both of those incidences there'd been little offloads, you know, little pop passes mm. out of because um, that's how Ireland play. That's how they keep it alive, quick ball. So coming in high, he's looking to get man and ball and stop that. Yeah he not only went high and clattered heads he was also late because the ball
3: and he knocked the him out ball had already gone and he knocked help. him out yeah.
1: for but that's what England were obviously trying to do defensively mm. to go back to your point about physical stuff they needed to they needed to hit them hard to try and stop Ireland from playing as, as quickly as they like to play and then perhaps Ireland were trying to wear England down but it felt to me watching like they they got a bit spooked by the idea of playing 14 men which mm. which can easily happen and they were they were forcing it too much. I thought that, like Tig Furlong, trying to force an offload out of a tackle that wasn't there, passes that were just weren't sympathetic enough, and, and they were being rocked at the same time by England, who had narrowed down any intention to play. Mm. Um, if, if you remember back, James Lowe's try, Ireland got the ball because they turned England over. England had attacked. Ireland turned them over, came back at them, picked them apart, and scored. And I, I really felt from there, and then that England lost Tom Curry. And they just thought we have to narrow this all down. We ha yeah. the only way we can stay in the game is to try and kick, play territory, chase really hard, use physicality, and it and it worked. And Ireland were rocked, and they were then trying to force it. And we we were sitting there going, if they just
3: keep the ball, keep it, just yeah. play
1: the phases, they will outnumber England. Yeah. Um, and it was almost it was that period. Colin Murray came on and just felt calmed like he just calmed yeah. it down a bit. They just played the phases, and then they picked England open in, in that last. Ten or fifteen minutes, but it, 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 so that, and then they then they win with a bonus point. Mm. They're on for the title as well going into the last weekend, and yet there's so much good to say about England, particularly their spirit and and their scrummaging. Well,
2: because it's an intro. Yeah, I'd I'd like to get on to the scrummaging, but just to stick with the the speed of the game. Because speaking to a friend of the podcast, Ross Hamilton, uh, this morning, one of the things he highlighted was um, the the rock speed that um, obviously he's spoken a lot and. We've written some about um, Ruck Speed and that being the key to, to creating chaos in the opposition defence. Uh, obviously England have already wrought their own chaos by being a man down, so it's <laughs> you could say there's an inevitability of time with that. But uh, one of the things he pointed out was just the, the stark contrast in Ruck Speed in attack. Um, you know, It was almost a second quicker on average for Ireland than it was for England. Now mm-hmm. obviously they've got to play a certain tactic, but... Uh, you know looking at the opportunities created we we can talk about tigerish defence from england and and brave rear guard action but um what what do you think is the root of of the issues for for england's attack is it that the ball isn't quick enough for them to use um or is it, it just trying to play off of errors rather than create something so i think i
1: i think this game sort it of has to be set aside from the general concerns about england's attack because
2: I th- but there are general concerns. No,
1: there are, which Massive, we which yeah. we've discussed through, through through the championship. All I was going to say was, once they found themselves in this situation, I think they they worked out. I'm hoping it was the players on the field rather than the, the water boys telling them. But they worked out that they couldn't play at the pace that, that they clearly intended to. With Harry Randall taking mm. a quick tap, and because they would that would just be their undoing. So they they had to change tack and they had to play behind the kick. And, and chase and defend hard. I have seen criticism that, you know, yet again, England didn't score a try. Or there was no, they never came close to it. I don't think that was the way it's they had the to play this that. game. No. They had to stick in it. In general, and in and early on, when when they were still in that mindset, very early on, Joe Marchant made a, like a really strong carry over the game line. He's no Manu, but he he's the only one who in that midfield is going to get, they mm. picked Elliot Daly there, he's not even trying, he's, he's not that physique. Yeah. It's it's momentum. It's it's speed of ball and being able to play off the back of it. And at the moment, they haven't managed to England haven't managed to unleash carriers to get them on the front foot to get the quick ball and allow allow them to exploit disorganised defence. At the moment, it feels to me they're still trying to pick apart set defences through angles and and skill, which is a, just a lot harder to do. Now, will come on to later France, managed to create an overlap where one should never have existed mm. with a brilliant execution against Wales. But it's incredibly hard to do and it requires the cohesion, which we all yeah. spent weeks talking about, of, un- of understanding lines of running and, and reading each other, which England just don't have yet. So therefore, without the go forward across the game line, that becomes a lot harder to achieve. And so, they, so sorry, will, that Scotland game, they had all the ball. But no
2: penetration
1: mm. um, you think the two tries and it, it, against Italy um, they were too sophisticated for the Italian defence so they scored five they could have scored seven but they were uh, that was they were way too good for for Italy playing like that but against better organised teams they need more punch and, and that's where you know, they scored twice a, a gift at the back of a Wales line out Might and, not been given. and a sharp finish and a sharp finish off the back of a mall at Murrayfield
3: yeah I mean, there are lots of context that you've put on there to these stats that I'm going to read, but they're quite damning, really, about England's attack, and it's some of it is about the Ireland game, which had a different context to it, but the theme of the whole competition is no one has... Sorry, Wales and Italy are the two sides that have the more profligate attacks than England. Um, England have been into the opposition 22 on average eight times in a match so far this tournament, and Wales and Italy are 73 behind them and then if you go on points per entry England are at 1.72 Wales are at 1.59 and Italy at 0.9 and then you go the other end of the scale Scotland are actually top on 2.89 points per entry to the 22 France 2.35 Ireland 2.83 and just looking at the Ireland game particularly they only were in the Irish 22 for 16 seconds in the whole match and you just think and there was—I can't remember the exact number for the Scotland game, but it was very low again. And you just think, if they're never getting there, mm. they're never giving themselves a chance.
1: So the Scotland game was worse. I'm sympathetic to them in the Ireland game Yeah. Sure. it was a different set of circumstances that they had. I mean, it's by their own hand. You didn't have to tackle like that. It's still their own yeah, fault. Yeah, but yeah. they were presented with a set of circumstances less less um, sympathetic for the Scotland game, where they had a lot a lot of opportunities, a lot of time on the ball and, and, and no penetration. And in
3: terms of point scoring as well, obviously one more game to go, we'll see what they do in France, but at the moment, this is their joint worst scoring Six Nations. 88 points, the same as 2010, one game to go. And then try scoring, they've scored seven, as we said, and five of them came versus Italy. And if they don't score another one, that would be the third worst tournament mm. of all time in the Six Nations era. So it's it's a clear... Theme that they've got very talented rugby players who we watch every week in the Premiership. Who are, so if you go through it, what the most exciting nine in the Prem, probably one off, if, one off, or English, let's say, rather than people like Fafter Clark. Yeah, is probably the most attacking 10 in the league. You've got one of the most classy ball playing centres in the league, Henry Slade. You've got Jack Knoll, proven international class when he's fit. You've got Freddie Stewart, one of the best young players in the world, maybe. Mm. and it doesn't fit it doesn't work it it hasn't
1: it hasn't clicked
3: borne any fruit yep. yet yeah so there's a problem there and whether that's Eddie Jones's problem whether that's Martin Gleason's problem the attack coach or whether that's the players individually something isn't happening and we every week we all we're going to twickenham or wherever they're playing and wanting to see uh, the plaster ripped off and it's not happening
1: yeah they i mean they were of course they were supremely confident and hopeful that the Ireland game would have been the day yeah I spent 45 minutes with Martin Gleeson last week talking about what they're trying to layer on what they're trying to achieve in attack that why they're trying to do it um, play this way where where they can self-organize and and not rely on pods and and it's difficult to achieve because you've got players coming from different clubs with with different um different background you know tactical game plans mm, and, mm. and and he you know he's aware that they're not there but he was talking talking England up and of course they, they never got a chance to to try and execute it so now they have to go and do it in Paris. Yeah well they,
3: yeah. <laughs> where
1: where as Wales showed the best way to nullify Shut it down. France is to
3: not play that way yeah. is to just And know, outkick them outkick kick them. cleverly yeah. and yeah. But yeah. maybe the I was just sorry, one last point is whatever happens next week, the tour's Australia and in some ways does that help because very stereotypically Australia away yeah, yeah. is open it's quite running rugby isn't it I mean the last series um, in 2016 incredible, apart from the Melbourne game in the middle was incredibly high scoring wasn't it and England started layering a bit of attack on that mm-hmm. didn't they so is
2: that where they really start to kick into gear we'll see I mean uh, to, to be a bit of a stick in the mud we obviously can't just stick it all on the, the back line as well because as a as one unit okay the, the C word is being used an awful lot of, um of cohesion by the way, don't, know, don't know. um but the you know so much of that comes with having the ball to play with, and if mm. England don't have the ball to play with then or or in the circumstances that they want, it just feels like they need to be better at playing with a sometimes pretty crappy hand, and um. It'll be interesting to see where they go. Now, what I'm interested in, and as finally, Alex, we get to the crux of things. Talk to me about the scrum. What the <laughs> hell was going on there? Because I, I just looked up and I kept seeing people just going, oh, my God, Ireland are a wet paper bag. What's happened? Yeah. Have we got two props in the room? Yeah,
1: I was going to defer to you, Al. Yeah. <laughs> so there, there are a couple of things which, which were obvious to me, although some one of them with a bit of guidance from... Uh, Alex Corbisiero, who has played there, uh, at the, uh, in 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 this game, he was he was in the England front row when they decimated Ireland ten years ago. Um, as was Keane Healy, who's now suffered it twice. Um, there were two things I noticed. Tyke uh, Furlong had a chat with the referee after about the I think the second or third scrum penalty to argue that England were hit and chasing, so they weren't they weren't staying stable on the engage and the ball was coming in as Sinclair in particular is is nudging forward and that when you watch back that that definitely happens certainly mm. early on um and the other element which corbs pointed out was that um healy's setup up was wrong so England were able to win the engage even if they then were then stable they had the stronger position partly because healy's feet were a bit too underneath him he wasn't he wasn't set up best for for the engage and that then gave england um a strong position to be in where I'm, from the position we were in, and even from watching, Genge was credited with four, I think, of those penalties mm. on Ty Furlong. A lot of them wheeling around, the scrum wheels around him. He's got Courtney behind him, who, by his own admission, is no longer a lock. He's he's lighter than he was. He doesn't like playing there anymore. And he's got Jack Noel, uh flanking on, on the loose head side. Yeah. And, and England, and it wheels... That way around, around. That way
2: yeah.
1: um, Is Genge stepping out and going and swimming up the outside of furlong? Do you think there?
2: Oh, that's interesting. It's one I did see. I did see quite a few stills of people going. Ah, hold on, and it did mm-hmm. look like a like a, a split within the second rows of yeah. of England in order to sort of hinge hinge around that. Yeah, certainly. But I need to I need to watch it in in detail. But I, but I find it fascinating because we've heard so much about this Ireland setup, and it's you know. Healy had been, you know, had stepped aside to let Porter come in to that position. Would things have been very different had Porter been playing? Um, it's all academic, but yeah. it's just it's just a, fan, a fascinating subplot to a game where in so many other physical assets, you could potentially say that Ireland might have got there in the end anyway. But to to do that with a hand behind their back, actually, it's really, you've got to say... A bit of credit to them for for conceding so many penalties mm. in that set piece and and still doing the job. I mean, you don't have to win beautifully every time. You just got to win, and they're still in a position to win the Six Nations and, amazingly.
1: Uh, Andy Farrell afterwards was pretty careful with his with his words, but basically said, "I have no issues about our scrum. I'm not worried about it at all." In a in a way that suggested that we just we've been done by mm. done by the referee today, the and there's nothing we can but, do about
3: it this next week coming if Genge does it again yeah. to Weenie Tonio and Paul Valimce then that's a hell of a thing to put in your back pocket yeah, or if it, the referee's looking at it next week and goes hang on there's something and, fishy happening here
1: and, it, and if they can back it up and, and that's where this kind of weird scenario around England and that game in particular is, is is really kind of you can narrow it down to that is England lost that game and they lost it pretty badly and yet Jamie George is talking afterwards about individual performances being like unbelievably inspirational. He said inspirational. it was one of the proudest days, of, the his proudest days life. of his rugby and, and also how uh, the, a lot of their feeling was: we can get more out of this game, take us into the, the, uh, the, the France game, regardless of the actual result. Mm. Um, this not not on the attack, obviously, as we've discussed, but it almost felt like they were more buoyed by the way they had to play. Because you only got one option. We have got two options in that situation: yeah. you you, you roll over or or <laughs> yeah. you stand up. And and I think they were very close to. If 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 the, Caelan Doris, Doris yeah, try had stood, yeah. they'd have been thirteen or fifteen nil down in eleven minutes, and then you're thinking and, and Ireland are are rampant, and you're thinking this this is ugly, and it comes back to a, like a a real tiny bit of. Very smart, perfectly timed, kind of nuisance skullduggery legally from Marrow, which is just his forte. Grabbing hold of Gary Ringrose's arm just at the right moment, as soon as he picked it up, the ball spills, the try is chalked off, Joe Marchant wins a a turnover, defensive turnover. I think we're going to get to the
2: end of the Six Nations and go, please, Joe Marchant, the the level he's got to, particularly defensively, deserves a, a hell of a pat on the back. I mean, uh, looking at it from the game next week and saying that Ireland could potentially go on to, to still win the Six Nations, pending uh, result in Paris, uh, I think from where I'm sitting is looking at uh, the the way that the rate that Ireland play at when they are rampant compared to Scotland, who have, uh, according to Kevin Miller, uh, who, who looks at stats like this for Scotland, Scotland have conceded the most ruck penalties in the Six Nations with 25. Mm-hmm that's to me that's a flashing warning sign for the Scots <laughs> and it's somewhere where Ireland can really make hay and um the way that they're playing now I sometimes I sometimes get annoyed when people use tackle stats in isolation miss tackle stats in isolation because it is of anything that's a statistic that needs um real context around it because in the modern game sometimes you want uh, your chasers to to miss tackles Because they're forcing a, a kicker or a playmaker Into a certain position that they don't want to be in mm-hmm. And that, well, we saw the value of the kicking battle um, Between Wales and France But uh, I th- I'm pretty sure Scotland still missed 29 tackles mm-hmm. Against Italy And again, that's one of those where you got to be on your mettle And we talked about Ireland When they get comfortable in multi-phase That was the try that broke England Scotland against Italy which you'd say is is the easiest tie that they've got in the Six Nations, haven't looked great in multi-phase. So it, it'll be fascinating to see who can turn it around and, and play a bit different if, if Scotland can be the fly in the ointment and be competitive. But Ireland, I think, you know, they want to get that feel like they're rolling. And actually beating a dogged England and still getting a hefty margin of victory, I think they'll they'll be pretty chuffed. So that just means that all eyes turn to Paris now.
1: Yeah, hmm. your thing about the tackles is interesting. They, they may have been updated, but in the immediate aftermath of Wales-France, a game that France won defensively, Wales had made more tackles. Yeah. According, so, to the, according to the official stats, which seemed bizarre... Because it didn't fit with how the game had unfolded. And well, maybe, yeah, maybe this, So this is, why, this
2: is why I get a bit frustrated sometimes when we just use shallow yeah, surface yeah, yeah. statistics and actually we need to, to delve a little little deeper into those. But, um, you know, I'll tell you what, if anything, anyone that's going to have a spotlight on them uh, this coming weekend will be Sean Edwards and, and his defence and what France, France can achieve at home because there's a hell of a lot of pressure on them. Yeah, I mean, that Sean Edwards defence is remarkable, isn't it? And he's
3: he's here again. He's on the cusp of possibly winning a fourth Grand Slam and something like his 52nd title in his Mm. career, coaching and playing. (laughs) Ridiculous. And the great stat from that is that in this tournament, Italy have been the only team to have been ahead of France in a game. And since the 29th minute of the opening round, France have always either been level or ahead of the opposition and conceded three tries in second halves. Um and two of them were Ireland and one was a consolation for Duan Vandermover in Scotland when they were miles back. So the defence has been amazing. I think
1: it? it's down to that training camp with the French Foreign Legion yeah, that shortly took them on. Yeah, he took them to before the, the uh the championship. Um and coming up next is our is our next defence coach from France, Joe Worsley, uh who was was in Cardiff on, on Friday night, uh working for the BBC and he'll join us To preview uh, France against England and the prospect of a first French Grand Slam in 12 years.
4: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: So that was the sound of, of joyous French fans in the Principality Stadium on Friday night as, as their team moved to one game away from a first Grand Slam since 2010, which seems remarkable. Uh, joining us on the ruck is Joe Worsley, who was also in the stadium um, and spends his professional life over in France, coaching in in Castra, and has a much better perspective on on French rugby than us. Joe, thanks for joining us.
5: No worries, good to join you.
1: Uh, what did you make of of that France game on Friday? It, it felt like it was Sean Edwards back in Wales, but um, but, but you know, putting the he had his paw, paw prints all over that game.
5: Yeah, it certainly did. I think. Um... And we can talk more about what Sean's brought to that French team a bit later. But in terms of that performance, yes, they defended really well in the 22. They gave up very few penalties in their half, very few opportunities, which is a, a real sign of Sean Nebel has been part of that team. But they did give enough opportunities. I think Wales probably should have won the game.
1: What has Sean brought
5: to, to that French setup? He's, he's brought enthusiasm for areas of the game where they, they probably weren't so enthusiastic before. So despite the language barrier, he's bought motivation to defend and to chase kicks. But it's not just him, it's Gautier had already started the process. And Gautier um, has been a long time memoir of how Sean coaches teams or teams Sean's been part of. So it's not just uh, Sean getting in there, it's Gaultier's already set and trained the motion events, which was happening before Sean arrived. And Sean's just someone who can really boss that side of the game fantastically well. So um Whilst we're bigging up Sean here, Gautier is also somebody who's a long-time convert to, to playing in that way.
1: As as is always the way, the, the the kind of the brighter things are what are what usually catch our eye. The, the attacking rugby, Dupont beating people, but that sort of steel underbelly is um, is, is what Sean's built. And I, I I left Cardiff on Friday thinking that they'll probably take more from winning a game that way than than had they had they played the way that they sort of naturally played, maybe even the way they beat the All Blacks, just just because going into a Grand Slam game, to know you can win um, on the back foot and without the ball is is probably massive for the development of that team?
5: Um, yeah, I don't think they changed at all how they play. I think we think about the sexy tries, that France can score, but the point against Scotland... Um the try restarted from a counter-attack was it was after a kicking duel. Mm. A lot of their stuff stems from kicking duels. The pressure they can put on opposition teams with those kicking duels is, is, is a strength of theirs. Normally, it's a strength of theirs. At so the weekend, they did it really, really poorly. So that try against Scotland started because they have been in a kicking duel and then the winger shot out the line to go for DuPont, creating a, a bit of space and DuPont could recognise that. The thing about that French team is a lot of teams in international rugby kick really well for territory and they kick fantastically well. But that French team have got probably the best running on fire, at recognising the opportunities of when to play. And that's something uh, Toulouse, uh, Toulouse style, especially the guys like Dupont, Le Damac, who play for Toulouse, uh, they, they're fantastic, at recognising that and going for it. Um, just
2: just from what you've seen of France so far, um, this Six Nations and also... You know, dispatches of England. We've we've just been speaking about England's failure to create a number of opportunities. What do you think they could do to unlock this French defence? Where where would you be targeting? Um
5: Obviously, they're going to be Wales changed. Have any teams changed how they played a bit? Wales at the weekend played the best pressure side of the game the, unse- the unsexy side of the game we talk about Sean what he brought to that Wales team when he played obviously with Gatlin as well someone who-, who backed that up and backed up that style of play they've been in flux Wales so they've been in flux and they've gone on towards a very attacking based game with coughing up lots of errors now at the weekend they didn't do that they um, shot themselves in the foot a couple of times while overplaying, playing giving away penalties to France but on the whole they were very disciplined and kicked and pressured very well now is that a reaction to one game or not, we'll wait and see. But in terms of England, they've got to do the same thing to the same quality that Wales did to France. And hope with that pressure and quality of kick, quality of chase, they're going to get the same uh, opportunities coming out the back of it. Obviously uh, on top of that, we're talking about that ability to attack and create chances through the attack as well. But that's going to be a far more difficult proposition because like Wales, England are lacking a number of ball-carrying forwards and power players we just don't have as many as we used to do so whilst there are still players who can do a good job there obviously the more you have the more chance you have of creating good quality fast ball and you saw at the weekend every time Wales put in to play a sequence of, uh, of phases they really struggled and the turnover came quite quickly they went back phase after phase after phase and penalties only two times really one was, uh, was a third or fourth phase after launch from the kick where well, they should have probably scored but Jonathan Davis dropped it. And the other one was just straight up a uh, long sequence of play in the 22, which finished with an interception. So that power side of the game, I don't think that's, that's not going to change for England. Like it for Wales, it was a, it was a problem for England. It's going to be the same issue. So the few chances that come their way, the turnovers and the poor kicks and the opportunities to counter-attack, they're going to have to take every single one.
2: Now, in, in your time as a player, Joe, uh, it, was, it was often common to see back rowers like yourself trying to hunt down the playmakers. In the modern game, because everything's so system-based, we see teams working as a cohesive unit. But one of the things that stood out is players like DuPont, scrum halves, really, shooting out of the line, um, going solo. Um, we've seen a bit of it from Harry Randall. Sail, Sail Sharks use it. Um, South Africa have, have used it. Um, you know, What could you tell us about Antoine DuPont defensively and, and when he does decide to fly, how disruptive it can be?
5: Yeah, he's, he's up in the line quite a lot as well. Um, he's in the first first line um, a, a, a lot. I think um, he does it well enough that he's not there often enough to, to put in place chips into behind that second level where you've got the space behind the, the front line in the two or one or two players in the backfield. But um, when you see him shooting out the line, when you see the players you talked about shooting out the line, often it's on board that's a bit slower. But can So they're aware... That, there's going to be a defensive line ready set. They're aware that maybe the opposition tends is trying to kick the ball, um, so they, they can really get the heat on and fly off the line. Um, off, there's also an opportunity on if teams hit playing flat to the line, and they still carry on doing that in a period where the nine can think about it and get himself in position, which means the ball's slow enough for him to do that. Um, you remember seeing a lot of nines intercept the ball of Wales well Sean uh, likes them to identify that and if they are playing flat of the line then maybe you can get an intercept there but the majority of the times you're talking about is normally slowish ball, 10's quite deep 9's going to really get to him quickly so either f- pressure the kick or force him to pass as early as possible Okay. which gives the rest of the defence an easier situation after.
2: And, and there is one other guy I want to highlight, and it's purely because I think here in the UK we probably don't know too much about him. What can you tell me about uh, Francois Cross and the, the, the way that he plays uh, in that French back row? Um, he's,
5: he's very important to the team, like he is to the Toulouse team. Um, the other players, well, Aldrich goes for a tonne of work as well, uh, but when Wocky plays with him, Wocky's a talent's like he's, he's not bad at working hard he's got a lot better um, but historically his problem was that but he's so talented in other areas that he's still going to play I know he plays second row at the weekend um, so it's a bit different because Antip Jelanch can work fairly hard as well but cross is that dog he's the whilst you don't have out and out open sides in in France he's probably one of the guys who's a bit closer to, to being that he's somebody who works incredibly hard gets his head over the ball and does all the other basics of back we play very well as well
3: Joe you've been keyed into the French club scene over the last few years what can you tell us about the changes that have happened between club and country It seems England and France always have that battle don't they and what changed with Galtier coming in the sort of project 2023 how have they kind of reconciled a few differences on that front from your perspective
5: um, yeah it's, it's not so much him it's Laporte doing mm. When, when he came in and got made president, of, the, he, he quickly moved politically to get more power over the clubs because um, financially the clubs have got more clout than their federation due to a number of reasons. Um, but through through bullying, through, through persuading, through a number of ways, he managed to get an agreement with the French clubs, which is one of the reasons they are able to play more cohesively and better now. They're, they're getting better coach. Nah. That's a hands down clear thing to say. Um, but also, they're getting to spend more time together. They're getting to stay together during the Six Nations. Whereas before Laporte came in, before he managed to find a, a way to make this work, they used to have to, a week before the Six Nations, they might be playing for their club. The down week, they would have gone back. So they never knew they're going to be playing for their club midweek or not. They're traveling around, they couldn't stay together. And um, it's hard to explain to anyone who doesn't understand being in that situation about playing. Five really intense international matches and having to go to a different environment and maybe train or play. Learn all the calls, adjust to a new one. is is really difficult. I used to have to do it when I played because at that point in time, we didn't have the agreement when I started with England. And it's just an incredibly tiring situation. dangerous as well. You pick up injuries, um, you're fatigued and you can't concentrate as well. The ability to get the French team together for that block of time over the Six Nations um, has been a a huge, huge bonus for Gautier. And he's laid back to up some quality coaching it looks like he's paying off with a, a grand slam, and maybe paying off with a grand slam uh, this weekend coming.
1: The Stade de France would be an incredible place to be on Saturday night, Joe. You, what can you give us a sense of 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 what it would mean to to French rugby to to nail this? Um, not just maybe for now, but but with the World Cup in mind, and 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 also for French sport um, at, at this time. Is it resonating beyond just rugby? the, the way this team are playing.
5: Um, yes, yeah, certainly is. I think the French really, um, uh, when it comes to a national team doing well, everyone tends to get behind it regardless of their, their sporting preference. Normally, that's football-rugby argument in France like it is in England, but um, no one's really bothered by their, their loyalties. They prefer football or rugby. They just dive in on it. So when the French football team do well, everyone's out in force for them. Um, and it's going to be the same for the rugby team this weekend. But, the, the, I mean, the team itself, and the, the, they're getting pushed with this dream about what's going to happen in 23. they there's a lot of talk about that all the time they meet up. They've been building up a whole thing around this. Uh, and the players, I think, have, bought on, have really bought into it. And they realise the importance of a successful home team at home World Cup and what it could do for rugby in France. I, I think that dream is uh, the big one that's driving them forwards. And obviously, a Grand Slam is going to be part of that. But the Grand Slam... It'll be amazing. I'm sure they'll be so satisfied to do it, but it's going to be a step towards where they want to be in 23. It's very much where they're going and this is a step on the way there.
3: Joe, just a, a last one. I mean, it's been a long time since we've had a sort of dominant French team and there was one in, in your era. Um, as an English player going to the Stade de France, what it's, what is it like when that place is, is bouncing and rocking and you're sort of in their sights?
5: Um, yeah, it's when they're in full force, um it, it, it's a difficult environment to go into. Um part of the reason is historically um our physicality allowed us to um to to win matches. And the French team were one of the global teams along South Africa who, who could match us there or sometimes better of us, you know, if they were good in the day. And that ability to, to strangle us and stop us playing was something the French team was always able to do. You should find it very frustrating playing against them in that move because um they were Capers reacting to it and creating tries out of out of nothing, but when they're in the mood, they could also set piece, more uh, a tactical situation really really slow us down and uh, like playing like playing <laughs> against uh, your feet in the mud. So it was difficult. It was difficult. The games moved on, but France now are kind of catching up. The dynamic uh, pressure side of their game, they're getting better and better and better at. And they're capable of um, scoring at any mistake you make, turnover, set-piece launches. They're they're very, very across the board. They've got a lot of talent. So whilst in my day, um, they were a team who could almost grind you down with a couple of brilliant moments, now they're really a team who can do that a bit, but they're so threatening in other areas that um, you have to be at the races if you want to have a hope of winning against them. We'll wait and see how it goes. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sounding very positive here, <laughs>
1: <laughs> not not for England, but it's uh, but it, it could be a great thing for, for for the game if if this France team um, c- can keep on playing as they are. Um, Super Saturday looms, uh, and it it should reach its crescendo in in Paris with with France against England going for the title. Joe, thank you so much for joining us and giving us that no all that insight. it's Fascinating to hear about it, and um, look forward to catching up soon.
5: Catch you later.
1: Coming up next on The Ruck, we'll have our weekly God or Goddess feature. But first, Jess Hayden with all the latest in the women's game.
4: The Premier 15s is on a break for the women's Six Nations, but one rearranged fixture still went ahead over the weekend. Saracens, who've confirmed their top-of-the-table finish in the league, beat Gloucester Hartbury 35-20 on Sunday to put themselves 13 points clear at the top. But the biggest women's rugby match of the weekend was Wales women versus the USA. Wales received 12 full-time contracts and 11 part-time contracts in January this year and this match, which was a warm-up for the Women's Six Nations, was their first outing as a professional and a semi-professional side. Wales led for most of the match, including a 15-0 lead in the first quarter, but the decision by head coach Ewan Cunningham to test new players led to chaos, as all 17 players named on the bench were substituted on at some point during the match. The USA made a second half comeback and won the match 31-23. That's all the women's rugby news for this week, but if you would like to see some more women's rugby content, head to thetimes.co.uk where you can find a Q&A piece answering our readers' questions about the women's Six Nations.
1: Thank you to Jess, and yeah, go give her a Q&A read um, on the website. We've got the Women's Six Nations is is looming. Now we've got our God, Goddess, or Devil of the Week feature to wrap up this week's episode. Uh, I'm my guess. I've got to guess where Al's going. So I'll start with Will.
3: Uh, yeah, it's Route One. Sean Edwards um, back at his old turf. The proper defensive performance. It was fun watching him on. The, there was like Edwards Cam, wasn't mm. there on the BBC, yeah. and he was so animated. I would just love to be a fly on the wall Of his meetings this week It could be tasty
2: next On Saturday against England yeah.
3: Al, are we going down to Madrid?
2: We are uh, <laughs> I'm going to give it to uh, Fernando Lopez Captain of Los Leones um, Spain men obviously Have made it to the Rugby World Cup for the first time since 1999 He did his top table press conference uh, At the end wearing a, a black t-shirt uh, In honour of Kawa Lima, who I, I mentioned before Passed away and yeah, just a, a huge moment for Spain He's he's a bit of a figurehead there So yeah, I've got to go go that way
1: um, I don't know if I'm going to get away with this But one of the themes of the last few weeks in the Six Nations Has been how the man in the match Has been on the losing team in so many games And I think we saw it with England I thought Maru Toji was just phenomenal Talupe Falatau, two weeks running Has been unbelievable for Wales Against England and against France And both times has ended up On the losing team So My shout just goes out To all those superstars Who never get the champagne Because they end up Being the best player on the pitch But Losing
2: So you're not actually Going to name anyone
1: Well okay (laughs) Uh, I'll I'll, I'll name Faletel I'll name Faletel Because I think For two weeks running He's been unbelievable for, For Wales and just hasn't been able to get them over the line on his own.
3: Man of the match things, what do you think the players do with the little thing they get given? Like the Vars, or the little Heineken star, or the beer, or whatever? Do they have a whole cupboard full of them somewhere? Or it probably depends who you are. Like, Marrow yeah. is probably, like, in care. his garage
1: somewhere, because you've got so <laughs> many of them. If you don't win that many, because you're in a under- I remember once, position.
3: actually, it was like 2005, six something like that, a cricket game in... There was a one-dayer in India, and Andrew Flintoff won a motorbike, oh, yeah, and he right. rode it around the boundary. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know whether he was allowed to bring it yeah. home. Like Federer has been given a cow by Switzerland before for winning Wimbledon. I think. Yeah, it's a bit better than a little bit of like tat from a sponsor.
1: We'll find out. <laughs> we'll ask. We've got. We're. We're. Will and I are off to talk to Eddie Jones in fifteen minutes. So I'm not sure we'll waste a question on Eddie on <laughs> on, on what they all do with it. But uh, if we if we find out, we'll report about what they do with. And some of them are the ugliest little trophies you've ever seen, yeah, aren't they? But yeah. anyway, um, thank you all for, for joining us. We'll be back next week when we'll know who the Six Nations champions are. We'll know whether France have finally got over the line after after 12 years of, of waiting and, and about three different revolutions in that period. Al, thanks for making it all the way back from Madrid. Will, good, good to see you. And uh, we'll be back next week. Thank you.